What's up, PlayStation Universe, and welcome to Episode 5 of PlayStation Fix. My name is Will Robinson, and today we have the entire force that is Wake Force on this podcast. You! So the rest of the team will introduce him now. Is First off is Adam Byrne. Hi there. And we got Kyle Prawl. I'm a sucker for a nice Irish accent. And Ooh, Ernest no. Lynn. Hi. All right. <laughs> Hello, Hello, friends of Earth. All right. <laughs> so, how's everybody doing? Good. Tired. Yeah. As usual. All right. All right. Well, we got a good amount of news to talk about. It seemed comparatively seemed like a slow week because we just came off of Paris Games Week not Harry. so long ago. Yeah, it's hard to stand up to that. But sure. there's still some pretty yeah. pretty good news topics that came out. We'll start off with a little teaser. Which was Star Wars Battlefront got a teaser trailer for Battle of Jakku, so everybody got to watch that, correct? Yes, indeed, indeed. So you could have blinked and you could have missed it. I know. I was just going to say I didn't didn't so much watch it as like it kind of hit me in the face as it went on. Hey, what was that? It still had a lot of stuff packed into it, or a lot of like momentum and excitement. I thought, even though it was really short, it was pretty. Yes. Yeah, like the whole thing was just like battle happening you're like okay what's going on and all of a sudden a star destroyer is just falling out of the sky which is interesting of course because the scene from the movie or the scene from the trailer shows that star destroyer being half buried in in sand so it's 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 interesting in the sense that it's a precursor i wonder how much the battle is actually going to what it's going to belie about the plot of the movie um mm-hmm. if only because star wars i mean the what we've played of Battlefront so far and what we remember from Battlefront back in the day is that they it doesn't really have story sequences, right? Like in these multiplayer battles. There might be a progression of things. Things might move around in the sky or, you know, hallmark events might happen in the middle of a match, but they've never really told a story. So I'm curious to know how they sort of bridge into the movie because that's kind of how they're marketing it and I'm not really sure that... Yeah, well, this, right. this trailer out. opened and it opened seeing 29 years before The Force Awakens. Right, right. So it's like that's a. It's like it right doesn't really after, need to tie in. It just has to be some big battle that happens. There doesn't right. Have to it's be any pretty story. much soon after Return of the Jedi in that timeline. Okay. So I mean, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't expect anything. Yeah, I don't think they'll. Really... I think they're trying to avoid spoiling, and I mean Disney's mm. been really, really adamant about trying to lock down any kind of like. That'd be interesting if stuff. anybody at Dice actually knows anything about the Force Awakens. Mm. I think I, they probably I, know. I would they say felt so. They needed to know, but probably not a, a word more than that. You know, like need to know basis. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, why did the battle of Jakku? But, but I mean, can you imagine like the embargo forms and like disclaimers that they had to sign? Like, like well, sign their newborn soul children away. and everything. Right. It's interesting that you mentioned that because because the, the the big story out there now is about this kid Daniel Fleetwood who got to see the movie early because he was. He has sickle cell carcinoma, so he's a big Star Wars fan, and they're not sure if he's going to make it to the premiere of the movie. So J.J. Abrams mm-hmm. showed him an unedited cut of the movie, and he's probably one of maybe five people in the world who have seen that. <laughs> but he, mm-hmm. I, I'm not super read up on the story. I think he's an adolescent um, boy, an adult, uh, you know, not an adult. So mm-hmm. what kind of embargo is he under? <laughs> and, like, what would he <laughs> care? Because he's, <laughs> he's got sickle cell leukemia, so, I mean... Don't he's captured the torrent of it. He's not really going to care if he's banned from getting like a Star Wars toy or something. Yeah. yeah. It was that, a great gesture, though. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty yeah, awesome J- that they did that. Yeah. Didn't JJ do that for the. I think he did that for the last Star Trek film. Mm. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. JJ's was, a good guy. 
is. Uh, it's a good, good he film. Always, he always came across with a really authentic personality in those mm-hmm. promo videos. Um, and just a friendly dude. Yeah, but so... Oh, uh, God, I totally just fumbled my thought. Um, so Star Wars, the, the movie, Force Awakens, is coming out next month on December 17th, I want to say, right? I thought it was 18th, but then a lot of theaters are doing... Oh, for like 17th, like midnight release or something. Yeah, yeah, I think it's like evening, like 8 or 9 p.m. A lot of theaters are starting. Okay. Just show it, yeah. Right, and then this is coming out December 8th is when the DLC, DLC. is hitting for this, so... Mm. Oh, okay. Plenty right. of time for... November. Yeah. Yeah. Right, that's going to be here already. Not that far off. Yeah, that's just two weeks, right? Yeah. And we're constantly reminded of it from all these little teasers and news tidbits and Okay, so I here's 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 one for you. This is a bit of a break from the news story, but with all the hype around Fallout Four at the moment, I mean we all the talk the last few months has been how Star Wars and Fallout Four are going to dominate this month. I think Fallout Four hurts Star Wars a little bit just by virtue of it coming out earlier. And I don't think that oh, that's, certainly. that's not really the mm-hmm. topic of conversation right now. Like it's kind of just assumed that both are going to be sales juggernauts, and they will be, relatively speaking. But yeah. I do think, on its own, Star Wars could have sold maybe a couple million more units had Fallout Four not be like. Right. I mean, you that is going to have an iron tight grip on people's attention, right. even a See, week or two later as Star Wars. Yeah, well, it's weird. You think? Yeah, go ahead, Adam. I think we've got to be mindful as well that we're sort of in this echo chamber of like this particular industry and how Fallout 4 is pretty much in the minds of most is going to just be a, like steamroll everything, you know, Rise of the Tomb Raider, obviously an Xbox exclusive currently, and the likes of Battlefront and stuff. But I think for just the kind of the average kind of gamer who doesn't factor in that much will probably, I think Star Wars would appeal far more. I know Fallout 4 mm-hmm. has bridged that gap a good bit, but I think from being inside this echo chamber, it, We've got a point I think, there. I mean, I mean, I what think name we're underestimating how how big Battlefront could be with just the general right. masses. But I know Fallout's already transcended that, so both will do incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Now you've mm-hmm. got me. Now you got me thinking. Now I now I don't know. Well, I do kind of know which one. You've you you very convincingly just told me that. Okay, maybe yeah. Give it three months time of sales. Star Wars will probably sell more. Well, I think EA it's, is I think hoping to hit twelve to. million or so. So, which I think they'll definitely bridge the ten million gap. I mean, if you just see how stores are totally taken over by Star Wars merchandise, it's everywhere. It's ridiculous. I've never seen anything like this. I walk into a Best Buy, and there is Star Wars cardboard displays with miscellaneous merchandise that you know normally wouldn't be in a Best Buy. And even like, there's places like Kohl's and. JC yeah, and like true. they have like all of these you go to, huge it's, sections. It's so intense like, right now. You go to yeah. the grocery store and you walk down the cracker or cookie aisle or the cereal aisle, and there's Star Wars oh, time in the, in everywhere. The, yeah. Cookie it's, aisle, right, Ernest? Oh, oh, oh. oh. no, no. That <laughs> was just there. Uh, oh. I was just there. Just just a couple days there. ago. Uh, no, yeah. So yeah, this movie is going to be just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, you'd, you'd think that Star Wars Battlefront. Would, is actually coming out before Fallout with the amount of attention it's been getting. Yeah, but I respect, Fall, I respect Bethesda so much that we literally, right. let, like less than, what was it, maybe six months before the release, we literally know nothing. Yeah. And we still don't know an awful lot. I know, of course, Kyle does, but the rest of us don't know an awful lot. And then here it is, a couple of trailers later, and the game that everybody's been waiting for for five, six years is now here. 
right it's, i think it'll i think people it it'll be, be interesting to see how that translates because all like in terms of just like popularity and like christmas sales like i star wars is going to outsell fallout in my and, opinion just for like the parents and the family members and all the stuff and they see like star wars wonder, everywhere also, I, know, it's games. Wasn't the teen rated game, you know? it's, I was gonna yeah, yeah i was about to bring that up is like that's the true teen versus mature rating yeah, yeah, so it's going to be a. It's just kind of interesting now that I never would have. Originally, I never thought of saying that Battlefront would outsell Fallout. But, but it makes a lot of sense the more you think about it. Yeah, like, it yeah, seems totally. like it's, it's really absolutely going to outsell Fallout. Like, who would have thought that Fallout would be like a sleeper hit to I mean, another I game? I don't think it's, it's a just weird conclusion. It's just more so don't underestimate, you know, the general populace who are in this Star Wars warp field right now of hype well sitting here fallout's fallout is an absolute juggernaut it will i actually I, I couldn't call it to be honest i just I fallout 4, it's got a lot longer lifespan in terms of sales like fallout 4 is just going to keep selling for years like that's it's, true it's you've got not, the classic yes. two or to three year cycle fueled by bethesda and the modding community right. and the fact that yeah it takes a while yeah. for some people to get around to it Word and they go mouth. on deals they get game of the year bundles yeah it's just gonna it's gonna keep growing and growing it may not be as big at the, at the start but it's gonna be i can't imagine it's gonna be poorly received by anywhere mm. so it's gonna just it'll just grow and get bigger but yeah i mean star wars is gonna be fine um they're luck. They just are lucky that they aren't uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider, which the yeah. Xbox One version <laughs> launches on the same day as Fallout Four. Uh, that's just, wait, yeah. that comes out next week. Yeah, yeah. that's terrible. That's a little bit yep. sad. As soon as it was announced at E3, that was the release date. I just immediately it was like, that thing's just not going to sell anything. No, that's a little it bit just, sad that it's, it's not sending it because, to the oh. yeah. Not because um not because sending like, it to the tomb. <laughs> okay. It's, okay. Yeah, but that because like that game should it, it deserves to do well is what I'm saying. Yes. Like that, oh, that yes. game it, it looks great, yeah. Crystal Dynamics yeah. is really talented and I love the way they've turned Tomb Raider around, so it's sad not because it snuck up on me and I didn't realize it was coming, but it's sad because like it just it's sad that it's not gonna sell what it could. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But it fortunately it gets a second chance once it comes to PS4, I guess. Yeah. Yep. I thought Very for true. sure it was going to get delayed. I thought they were going to have some kind of arbitrary reason for it being delayed, so it wouldn't hit the same day. Mm. It's, but it's I mean, it would have been done. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to remember, if it was a week prior to what it was, it would could take away from like Halo's hype and as well as Call of Duty and even Need for Speed to a lesser extent. And then if you go a week beyond Fallout, you're talking Battlefront, the Juggernaut that is Battlefront. So. They're kind of between a rock and a hard place. I, yeah, that's it's, true. It's not as kind of clear cut as, you know, oh, we could move with this and that because, you know, there's circumstances that don't really permit that. It's unfortunate, and, but hopefully, you know, the game's quality shines true, I guess, and <laughs> it sells based on that, not just because it unfortunately was nestled between, you know, these juggernaut releases. Yeah, yeah it's tough, too, and you have to wonder how much foresight they had because the original game came out in March of 2013, and I feel like it did really, really well because it wasn't surrounded by a lot of important titles. It was kind of, I mean, March at the time was a sweet spot. You know, every year seems to yeah. get more crowded, but I guess, and that's tough, too, because they probably had the Tomb Raider date set um, without knowing that that was Fallout's date, and mm-hmm. once these deals are in motion, especially when... The year's profits. I mean, your Q, or that that would be Q4 for Microsoft. 
I mean that that's that's the hallmark, right? Like Halo Five yeah. is out already, and now it's Tomb Raider. That you need that to come out, or else the financial year looks is a very different. Yeah, picture. Mm-hmm. That's, that's that's a good point, mm-hmm. right? And they need to get it in, you know, before Black Friday and all that jazz. So yeah, well, these are all these games that we know that are coming. There's another story that came out about a game that we. Actually, the, even the developers probably know very little about, and that was a story that's saying From Software is going to be releasing an exclusive PS4 JRPG someday oh, in the future. Baby. Yeah, so I mean, the, I From Software, the creators of uh, first Demon, well, first known for Demon Souls and Dark Souls. Well, of course, and well, we had that mech fighting as well. Yeah. Want to go Armored Core style, you know? <laughs> yeah, but Bloodborne is their last biggest hit. Dark Souls or Dark, yeah, Dark Souls Three is already mm. we already know a lot about, so they're clearly not talking about that. They want something. Yeah, there seems to be different. a kind of a, a discussion regarding like the semantics of JRPG, whether it means the general aesthetic that we associate JRPGs with, or the fact that it's just a role-playing game that is from Japan. So the likes of an action mm-hmm. RPG like Bloodborne or like what I yeah. Well, they, what there's I a, there's sure. a quote that says that the next exclusive for PS4 currently in development is a Sony published first-party title. Like but like Bloodborne and is a JRPG. Yeah, so then it's so, just a question of what this is. This know, is what a JRPG means. Right, and this is important to point out before we go too far. Too, this is a, this mm. is just no known. This got found out by an industry insider. Yeah, named, so uh, Verandas. Brain assault. So this is yeah, somebody sure. who's usually, I guess, they're credited with being pretty reliable with their information, but still, it's. This is, wasn't rumor. an official announcement. But. So here's what I hope comes out of this, and it's like the first thing that popped into my head when I read that phrase, from software develops JRPG. I picture, like, I immediately thought of the Tales series for whatever reason, only because I think it's the JRPGs that, you know, uh, Zestiria just came out, and I played Exilia last year, so it was fresh in my mind. I'm like, okay, wait, it's not going to be cartoony because it's from software. Right. So then I pictured a, a game with, like, a Tales or a Final Fantasy structure with, like, really realistic kind of dark gothic character design like pseudo realistic faces gore Mm -hmm. like a very very adult aesthetic a very adult color scheme and visuals and i'm like that sounds awesome like take final fantasy or the tales just structure of a classic linear jrpg but put like really sophisticated graphics and more adult themes on top of it yeah and Mm -hmm. gameplay better gameplay yeah and on the on the flip side, it could easily be Bloodborne 2. We know that eventually That's that true. will come out, and it could be literally just that the you know the documents are signed. It's not even in pre-production or anything. It's just you know, yeah, it's at that very low level. So we do consider you know we do consider Bloodborne to be an RPG. Yeah, I think an action RPG yeah. as well. And as well, like even there was a quote a while ago. I can't remember who said it within Sony, but they were discussing going back to old IP and stuff and just kind of exploring that and to expect some some things along that ilk. And knowing from software's catalog, like Demon ten- Souls too. I don't know. <laughs> no, imagine like I think further back. Yeah, oh yeah, further back. I think they did. Well, they've got Kingsfield and stuff, but that's mm. a long, long time ago. But they, they do a version of Tenchu as well. Yeah, that, I was trying to think oh, of the yeah. game series. Like, yeah, that's the one that. How sick uh, would a brand new Tenchu be? By oh, the way? an action RPG elements. <laughs> that would be awesome. man. <laughs> nice, nice like hardcore from software difficulty that classic classic you you either stay stealthy or you die um i think that'd be sick that'd be really cool 
Yeah, no. but you can't. Yeah, as well, you can't imagine that this is. I know they have two teams, but you can't imagine this is anywhere near pre-production, even at this stage. I'd say it's at the the very start of the line. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what comes, but a different piece of technology that Sony really wants everybody to know everything about, but they seem to be having a little bit of trouble with, is PlayStation VR. And they just came out with a new tech trailer to hopefully show off some more of the specifics of why you should buy one or why it's as impressive as they claim it is. So So. I'm curious what you guys think about the trailer, specifically the question, do you think the tech trailer was effective for that goal, like showing people why they should buy one? Um, I'm going to say no, because I think what they did show was stuff, anybody who is slightly, you know, in the loop about PlayStation would know these things before, and I think they need, granted, as we said before, I know they didn't show anything at Paris Games Week in terms of release or or price. We're expecting that PSX, so what they're trying to do is they have to sell it to the PlayStation nation, as it were, you know, the, the real diehards, and then they can pretty much, you know, sell it to their friends and stuff so they're showing it they should show a trailer that kind of more shows the experience rather than the specs because the specs are only pertinent probably to like playstation fate yeah that, that was we already my, know that so yeah that was my feeling too is that it was a little too spec heavy and right after i watched i went wait this is like kind of a weird thing compared to what they showed at paris games week and i went back and searched for that trailer and there is a paris games week showcase trailer for playstation vr that's so much more game focused it shows like three people using it and then mm-hmm. the, they're wearing the headset, and then the game is kind of behind them, translucent. It's moving as they move their heads. Like, it's just a really good visual demonstration of how it works. So then you line that up next to the tech trailer, which is like, yeah, it has a 1080p screen in each eye, and it has mm-hmm. a 5.7-inch OLED. It's like, yeah, I get, that's cool, I guess. Right. You know? Well, the, the, I think the purpose behind this trailer in particular is not was not to show off why you should or what what it can do it's more to show what it is and just basically say we have this sexy new piece of hardware that you all are just going to fawn over yeah and they did a in terms of that they did a really good job on how they just displayed it and it looks great looks nice i mean you see it 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 looks like this it looks like you see people that right but i mean if you have anybody who's a tech head in any degree and they see this thing and they see wow this looks way sleeker and cooler than other VR headsets that they've seen, which is mainly at this point have all been prototypes, really. Yeah, that have been big and blocky. Like, so this is like the first yeah. time that you've seen like a really sleek, well-made trailer that shows that, and it has really high spec ratings for anybody who knows or is somewhat literate in any of those figures that they had. So I mean, mm-hmm. they did a really good job with that, and they showed, like, answered some really pretty basic things that were concerns for people that were like. You, when you're looking at it through the eyes, or looking at it with a, with it on your head, people can watch what you're doing on the TV and stuff like that. Stuff that's been talked about in the past, but this like, presented that, really well, in that kind of sense. So mm-hmm. it wasn't more in terms of, showing gamers why they should buy one. It just showed like this is a really awesome piece of hardware that you shouldn't miss out on. Yeah, and perhaps it's that's too early to kind going. of go down that route too. Yeah, really try and show like. You know everybody why they should buy it, but it's I mean, be interesting the, I to think see they when should, they start rolling it out. Like they that. should have a. I think they should have a trailer that's focused on that coming out basically simultaneously with this one. But just that the yeah. purpose of this one was not. Yeah, that at all. You've got to imagine. 
more to inform and right. I mean this is like a sort of trailer that you would only ever see them putting yeah. on I think, like, streaming. It's not a TV commercial. Yeah. No, this was good for people like us that have yeah. experienced it and have gotten to see it and I was like, wow, it can really do those things or it's that wow, I didn't realize it was that powerful or if that was at that graphical level or like things like that. But one of the things that they didn't mention that was in the trailer that was a story that came out too was that I, I didn't realize this was a question by anybody, but it has to be powered by an external source. Or needs I was an external thinking that thing, because so like, if they were trying to get games for one of the 120 FPS on right. PlayStation 4's hardware alone, I was questioning how that could be done for particular games that were graphic heavy. Right. But um, I'm glad though that it definitely has the extra processing power to, you know, help with that. That's an interesting yes. point too. Is just about having to streamline those experiences in order to get them to run at 120 because. The, the game trailer I'm talking about, we guess there were snippets of Until Dawn, Rush of Blood, the London Heist, uh, yep. Rigs, and mm -hmm. and the games look good for being like kind of Morpheus launch titles or PSVR launch titles. But then you look at something like the London Heist, and there's a scene there where you're kind of sh riding shotgun in a car and you're shooting out the window at a pursuer, and it's like so many games on the market now are processing those actions, but then also things in the background, like something like Fallout you have this shootout going on in the street, like you and, and some AI enemies, but then there's a whole world simulated around you, right? Or there's at least, you know, in something like Call of Duty, there's cars and helicopters moving that you can't even see because they're on the other side of buildings and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I feel like what they're going to have to do, that's going to be a concession, and we won't necessarily see it as gamers because the whole point is that it's stuff that you wouldn't normally see anyway. But mm -hmm. as developers, I think they're, it's going to be a lot more streamlined because it has to be, so... It'll, they'll probably have to make very careful decisions about what actually gets programmed and what actually gets shown to you, which could actually be good for, um, I wouldn't say the quality of games, but just there's always that, that rule in the arts, right, where sometimes it pays to, to be concise and boil things down back to the basics and kind of start over. And for game design, it could be the same way on PlayStation VR. It's like you have to suddenly not have so much fluff, so many accessory moments, so many vanity moments. So now we that's, boil it down to the yeah. core gameplay. Because yeah. that's going to be interesting because presumably given that level of power, that, that ceiling pretty much that PlayStation will have, it is going to be interesting to see if there's like a divergent path between developers who would be getting to like develop a PC and with Oculus and stuff where, you know, you can update your process, you can update your CPU, your graphics card, everything kind of, is, there's always, the ceiling's always rising. So it'll be interesting to see how that impinges on, you know, gameplay and how development goes in response to that like will you see mm -hmm. cross-platform games say in two three years where you know it could be one experience for playstation given in the hardware holding it back at that stage or will it be like you know in, like, will it be parable to the pc experience it's going to be interesting to see how right. the concessions are managed you know going forward I think I mean, like, cross-platform would be almost i would say as out of the question i would think yeah because no, it's, it will be because i mean for was so much of Morpheus is or not PlayStation VR is the built-in move sensors and that kind of capability, not just yeah, like the gyroscopics true. and stuff. It's the, that'll be an sensors. interesting struggle too because I imagine that developers will want to do everything they can or everything within reason to make it cross-platform just for profitability reasons. But then if they do go that route, then PlayStation VR is going to be the limiting factor because it's on a console. There's a certain limit to the hardware you can do. So it, it, it's funny because it, it will kind of—I think it will kind of mimic the way multi-platform games are now with PC, where you know most PCs that people own, 
you're not rendering games at a super higher fidelity than at consoles, but consoles are still the um, the limiting variable there. So this is an interesting kind of question that that raises then. So do you think where things are currently at right now, whether or not a, a PlayStation VR is a better piece of hardware, but do you think that Xbox and PCs are going to be, the, those are going to be the VR like the main VR gaming areas, like the nah. PlayStation's going to kind of fade off after a while. I, but those are I don't. I think, think the, so. Go ahead, Ernest. You can you yeah. can chime in on this first. Um, think in the background. Just because with, again, I mean we've discussed this before. With the PlayStation VR, you've got that install base, um, with all the PS4 systems that are out in the homes, and then, I assume. And I mean, we don't know yet for sure, but that Sony will price the VR headset lower than uh, or comparable to Oculus. Right, and that was actually that while we were talking about this, reminded me one of you had just had mentioned before we started that there was a that Shuhei Yoshida had commented on that PlayStation VR is being is going to be priced at a point where it's not intended to make a profit. Mm-hmm. Right, that it's be yeah. it's going to be sold mm-hmm. to. That's kind of like what we talked it's about be last week. So that, so yeah, so that kind of makes. tells me that it's yeah. going to be on the lower end of the range that we were theorizing, which I think what was our range like anywhere Two, from two hundred fifty to four hundred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe three hundred is sounding a little more concrete. My my uh my response to the you know which where will the gaming experiences fall versus the consumer experiences? I think it's all, I think it's all going to depend on on which one is easier to make things for because with all the things that developers have to worry about now in VR, like you know as well as I will, the game we played at E three, um, mm-hmm. Loading Human, right? That that exploration yep. kind of experience. They were telling us about what developers have to worry about now, which is biology and which is what experiences trigger claustrophobia in people, you know, gone are the right. days when the only thing they had to worry about were epileptic seizures. Mm-hmm. So with all these new things to worry about, on top of making a game and making a game that's fun with this new input, you have, I think the most attractive platform for games is going to be the one that's easiest. And in that respect, a, a console that has limits and there's there's a ceiling to how sophisticated your visuals can be how sophisticated your tech can be that might actually be attractive to developers because it's just a it's mm-hmm. a smaller box in which you like you can see the boundaries versus oculus where the computer hardware and just the infinite variation that a consumer could have for their computer complicates that picture so much so if right. anything well, i think five years out or ten years out playstation might yeah. dominate that gaming well, space think, well, where oculus goes into medicine and and um, construction and all these consumer. Yeah, well, I think it's a good thing that a good, good comparison is with like with Windows and Mac right now. Right. PlayStation VR is kind of the Apple version of VR in that kind of right, where it's that's yeah. going to be specialized and that's going to have its, it's kind the, of like right. Ide- it's a closed system purpose. that has the stability. Right, but when but Oculus but, is going to be yeah. on like the whole thing about the install base, Oculus is going to be able to be plugged into any windows device correct or any yeah, yeah any kind still, of computer there's still so a minimum, i mean there's still minimum requirements sure but i mean that that's going to be a huge yeah. that's got a huge install base compared to playstation vr where playstation vr is going to have i think we all agreed that's going to have a more specialized focus and right, re- kind of right. e- easier mm-hmm. promotion as angles to run with than yeah. saying you it know. can do everything 
right in line with your comparison, Will, between uh, Mac and Windows, it also looks to me like the difference between iOS and Android. Like, iOS yeah. games... I was just reading a nice opinion piece about this on Polygon earlier today. iOS games almost always come out six months earlier or, or something to that effect on yes. iOS and then come out much later on mm-hmm. Android because there are hundreds of Android devices that Google needs to test your game on. So they just come sure. out on iOS first because there's only like four devices that it needs to work on during the QA phase. Hmm. So developers always push it out to iOS first and then the iOS users kind of become in a way the bug testers for the Android version that comes six months later. But still it's the same thing, right? The Android space I would fragmentation. Most, yeah, most and, yeah. and most people would agree that it's better for you know, flexibility of your programs and, and what you want you can turn your Android into a PS one emulator. You know what I mean? Or you can turn it into this uh, an, an operating system that looks nothing like the when it looked when you bought it. Um, mm-hmm. But the consequence of that is that, you know, and same with Oculus, the variability there and just this infinite space of, of technology means it's just going to be so much easier to make games yeah. for PlayStation VR. It's going to be a lot more reliable on there, but you actually set up a perfect segue point off of that into another big story that came out. Speaking Go me. of uh, <laughs> games on phones... Activision Blizzard just bought King Games for $5.9 billion. So Yum. <laughs> what do we think that means yeah. for the game industry as a whole? <clears throat> that'll, be, that'll be interesting. To, I mean, that has a lot of different ways we can go off on it. But So Ernest said disgusting. Yeah, I, I mean, to put it in perspective, Facebook bought Instagram for a billion. Oculus was $2 billion. Minecraft was 2.5 billion. Marvel and Star Wars each were 4 billion. And then, together? together? No, no each. Oh, each each by okay. itself was 4 billion for each of them. And then. Can you imagine? Five those... point, almost 6 billion right. for Candy those Crush. Stupid which is on its, yeah. Which is, you know, not growing. You know, it's kind no. of past its peak. Well, there have been a billion spin offs of it. Oh, it's so insane it's like... how many. Even Saga. the company itself has made spinoffs of its game. Yes. Oh, there's <laughs> it's like... so many. And they're, oh, God, they're all the same game. They are all the same game, basically. Yeah. I'm actually it's looking insane. at their homepage right now, and everything ends in Saga. Yes, it's... it's disgusting. Yep. I'm actually, there's <laughs> about eight on the homepage, all that end in Saga, and they all look pretty much the exact same. It's incredible, to be honest. I don't think it's going to have any far-reaching consequences because I think they still make, you know, an incredible profit daily. So it's just a matter of consolidating that revenue stream and just hoping that nothing too drastic changes in the future. I like, I, I like sorry, I like the last game on the site, Scrubby Dubby Saga. Scrubby Dubby <laughs> Saga. So 10 out of 10. Do you guys think that they're going to basically let just King Games keep doing what they're doing or do you think they're going to have more of a hand in what happens from now on? Because like, Bl- Blizzard I, and Activision is from what I know of, they do have some uh, hands in the Right in the phone game pot, but like Blizzard has done, uh, Hearthstone and stuff has come out I mean, to yeah, mobile devices and that kind of stuff, and that's huge on its own. So that's a lot what of what I've seen with with Activision is that when they acquire a studio, they do, you know, sort of uh, impose some demands on them sure. and Which assign, you pro- assign yeah and assign projects and such. So I mean. Possibly they are doing this so they could, you know, really get into that mobile game market. Maybe have them, 
do I don't know like a Skylanders mobile game spinoff. Something. Like, I mean, God, they could, and they could do it lot. for any property. They could do it for right for all their IPs. Hearthstone spinoff or like a Warcraft spinoff, a Call of Duty spinoff. So I think it's there's value in that way, but there's also value in like. And this is the, all right. So this is. I mean, obviously, I can't speak to like how much money this actually means to Activision because when you're at when you're operating at that level of of spend and at that level of corporate structure, you're just in a completely different world than the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I mean? So we have no like. I can't even internalize that amount of money. I can't imagine it. So, but 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 looking past that, like, I have to imagine it's really expensive and possibly like long term costly to somebody like Activision to try to make their own way into the mobile gaming market like let's set a team aside let's try to learn it from scratch let's try to find that secret sauce that's worked for other people because there's R&D costs that go into that you know you're mm-hmm. paying salaries for a couple of years and maybe nothing comes of it and all of that was was a waste so by dropping 6 billion on King which is is an insane amount of money again it is kind of like a magic ticket to the top of all of the charts and so King has yeah, presumably maybe even a hundred million active users, users that are proven to spend money on mobile games because they spend money on these these shortcuts and these these extra credits and, and what have you. Mm-hmm. So right. it's like if you have this built-in user base, these people who know the Saga games and, and you have all this demographic data on who actually spends money on mobile apps, like is it you know ages 25 to 34, is it men versus women, whatever. Yeah, it's almost like Activision paid $6 billion for like the secret, data mining, you know? like literally, yeah, like data, like in a way, right. yeah, kind of video game data mining, and now like it's just the six billion dollar ticket to be like whatever we make next, we know it's going to be an insane runaway success that could push a couple million dollars a week just in you know microtransactions because we just know what the formula is or King knows what the formula is. Yeah, the I mean, but then the alternative look is that in this space of social or mobile games is that it's been really hard to replicate runaway success and that I don't think there has been a really good example of a company mm-hmm. um, you know coming out with two ginormous hits back to back or even in, in their lifespan you know the the sort yeah. of philosophy with that industry is make a huge hit and just cash out cash out for as much right. as and that's something so that I've been that's seeing this story was what just made me think just kind of like why would you do I just I don't see them getting there like clearly like like we right. said we're we're not on the same level as they are knowing how this works but so numbers like wise, I don't see how that they are going to make their money back off of this right. because clearly they have they've ran out of de- ideas a long time ago so 20, when you're looking so through their games list uh, so 2014's revenue for King Games was only 2.26 billion which yeah, is still a lot of money only. It's a lot, but I mean, but in terms of the long term, yeah, like right. getting your money. Like, I feel like, is it, I guess, to is is, it have it as a simple, poignant right? question is like, is it, did they do this, did they jump on this too late? Like, is this not it's worth their investment? It's too late. What if it was just a, I don't, like a sign of, of kind of power and wealth? Yeah. Just to say that, show that they could do it and maybe to please investors. I don't know. It'd be like the flail, sad flailings of a dying old man refusing to give up on life. <laughs> Just, hey, okay, you guys said we should get really into into mobile games. We just bought Candy Crush, yeah. which I'm sure some of you investors have played, so there you go. Because, right. I mean, like, their portfolio clearly doesn't show 
mobile. a capability and like variety or like in just range of ability in creating games. Doesn't right. need it's, it's all the same. So I mean, yeah, like they haven't yeah. needed it and they don't need it, but for a pl- for a company like Activision Blizzard to buy it. Yeah. It's just like it seems just really it's kind interesting, of yeah. Cuz it could be too late. I th- I think I think you could be onto something will. There's probably like maybe a 50-50 chance it could go either way because King's revenue is is up, I believe, year over year from 2013 to 2014, which kind of flies in the face of I think Zynga is kind of the famous example of a company that went big on mobile gaming and then kind of just self-imploded. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Activision and I'm I'm totally just stealing this from Wikipedia right now. They only have 14 about 14 billion in total assets um so that you know sure. their line their lines of credit the things owed to them you know all the investments all the things that includes yeah that's right. not i mean so that's they spent like, that's like well spending. over a third of their budget yeah it's like that's their for their money yeah. their whole company right exactly so i mean you know the other part of it too is that maybe activision is saying yeah we're, we're spending 40 percent of our total assets to make this happen but you know, Destiny is a runaway success, and Destiny Two could make even more money than the first. Yeah. So we're set, you know, on that side of our. Yeah, I mean, if King has a lot of dormant abilities that just haven't shown off yet, and they made like a really good companion app for Destiny in the mobile space, that right. could be huge. Right. I mean, yeah, we so. got to think about that. They're not necessarily buying King Games' current properties. It's the potential and it's the talent right. that but they it's have just there. Like mm-hmm. what, they've, so, what they've shown doesn't show a lot of variation from idea. So, that I mean, that's just... Right. That, it that's is just a concern. And it's thing. Gonna be, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what Activision's sort of grand plan for all of this is going to play out. You know, you know it's kind of crazy to step back. This is one of those things that I wouldn't say it really snuck up on me how big Activision has gotten, but if you sit back and look at it, they own... Diablo, they own Heroes of the Storm, they own everything Blizzard does, Warcraft, everything else, everything that's coming, World of Warcraft 2, presumably in the next five years, they own Call of Duty, they own Destiny, they own King Games now. Like, it's yep. it's it's kind of insane. I don't, I mean, you always, you, yeah. you, you yeah. always know they're a juggernaut, like, that. that's obvious, that that's just taken for granted. Then you step back and go, yeah, holy shit, they right. really are a juggernaut. Yeah, I mean, like, whenever I hear Activision now, I always feel like they're, because, well, part of it is because they don't have the same uh, kind of, like, media presence as the other major, like, third-party studios and stuff at, like, events like E3 and that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, they, it feels like they're just kind of like, oh, they're there. Like, they're a big name, but they're kind of dying. You just kind of... That's what I think, like, in the back of my head, but it's like, yeah. Like, you're, uh, you're right. Not even close. That's true. They do have BlizzCon. Right, they so. have BlizzCon. Well, they, um, they bought BlizzCon. Right. I mean, following... <laughs> so, looking at their stock, I mean, people reacted well to the announcement. It's It's up... Yeah. Um, looking oh. at the the five day graph here, so that'll be interesting. I mean, see. I mean, I guess, I guess the investors kind of approve of it. I mean, man, if you can bridge the divide between console and PC gaming, like IPs like Destiny and Heroes of Storm and Warcraft, if you can and use that with King's competency, well, more so, more than that, in the mobile space and the the fan base they've garnered and the name, the like the push power they have as a, just a name and their how. Like incredibly advertised, they're everywhere. If they can bridge that divide by creating, you know, as as you said, spin-offs of IP, you're going to see this probably cross-pollination where there's this symbiotic relationship between mobile gaming booming, and then you'll have the likes of Destiny if there's a companion app on mobile. 
Mm-hmm. You'll have this cross pollination, and it could be huge, like absolutely huge, just really bridging that divide. Because of course, console gamers and stuff, and PC gamers will a lot will look down on mobile, and rightfully so for many reasons. But that divide can be, you know, if, right. if it could be brought in a bit more, then there's definitely potential. It's an incredible amount of money to put in, but I can see the idea behind it. It's just that's just one piece of the puzzle. The rest that's, is a very yeah. careful line of steps that mm. will have to go absolutely perfect for it for them to pull off, right. you know, successful. And clearly, there was a lot of conversation that went in on this because you don't just spend five point nine billion dollars on something. So yeah. you should see me on a Friday night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But yeah, well, that's, I think Adam's point is a good possibility. It could be the same sort of strategy that uh, that we've heard Nintendo reiterates about their mobile games in that they are going to have these mobile apps and games there not to replace their core games business but there to support it and introduce people to their properties and characters right. and get yeah. them to switch over you know yeah, and also buy the, their system and games. Just mm-hmm. the figures of people who even passively play mobile games is mm-hmm. outstanding. I don't have the figures on hand but you know right that alone shows the potential if everything lines up properly and you know it's mm-hmm. going to be interesting times definitely yeah it'll be only time will tell and say for this but definitely a surprising move on their part so far but we got a, we got a lot of other big topics to go so we we think we need to move on from <laughs> okay king games for now cuz uh, and breathe yeah so right. next big story not, not exactly surprising, I think, for a number of people, but it still was impressive to see that Witcher 3 pretty much swept the Golden Joystick Awards in a lot of big categories. So yeah, and it even, awesome. won, even won its game of the year. Yeah, definitely so, nice to see. I still have to pick it up. God yeah, I haven't gotten to play it either, but I know Kyle's the big advocate. I don't know. Ernest, did you get a chance to play it? I didn't get a chance to play it. I watched my roommate. Okay, so before, yeah, before we let Kyle go off on why it deserved its... <laughs> Awards. We'll give the rest of the awards that it got. It got best storytelling, uh, best visual design, and best gaming moment, which was apparently the Bloody Baron quest. Interesting. So, but then, yep, and then it got game of the year. So those are the major spots it got. Bloodborne got best original game, and well there was another thing on. Oh, there, best uh, PlayStation game. Mm. Funny, game, funny yeah. that uh, Witcher Three wins all the others, but Bloodborne gets best PlayStation game. I know why, because it's the exclusive of everything else. But um, right. it's, just, it's one of those classic things, you know, where the awards like, wait, wait a minute. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, all that, all that makes sense for the Witcher. The best gaming moment—that's kind of weird to me. Like, I, I'd be curious to know some of the rationale behind that, because I, I obviously know the quests they're talking about. And it's like, yeah, that was a good story, good RPG quest, but I feel like those are kind of a, a dime a dozen in a game like The Witcher 3. It feels like every side quest has that kind of gravity and that kind of um, some a twist like that. So, yeah, that's that's an interesting one. But the game's phenomenal. I, I reviewed it for PSU. I gave it a 9.5. Um, and I, I legitimately said, without hyperbole, and I still stand by it, it is, it is one of the definitive RPGs of our time. Like, it's one of those once-in-a-generation games or once-in-a-two-generation kind of game. And it really, it was just powerful. Like, it reminded me of playing Morrowind for the first time. And maybe that's a weird comparison because the games don't actually have very much in common except for maybe some of the open world aspects. But Hopefully just it the, plays better than Morrowind. <laughs> fair enough. 
but it was just the craft that went into it, right? Sure. It's the biggest game world to date by leaps and bounds, and yet every inch of it is just packed with handcrafted terrain, interesting people, interesting things to do and see. Like, there's not a, a pixel of that world that wasn't put there for a reason. And that manifests itself into, like, what I think is going to be a timeless game. All right, and what's even more impressive, too, is that it's not... The studio that developed it does not meet the size of the vast majority of other kind of like right. giant yeah. studios that are out yeah. there, giant game names anyway. Yeah, and if you know that, just I think I think ahead to the future, and I think about what that studio is doing now. They're making Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. So think The Witcher three, except in you know Cyberpunk science fiction. Yeah, even a bigger world is what they said too, right? Oh, that's oh, just crazy. That's, that's insane. I, I don't even I like, like a huge <laughs> metropolis that you can just lose yourself in you know that would be wouldn't that be cool huh. if they did develop just not only is it a huge metropolis but it's like a metropolis to scale like yeah. video games always fall short of that but this is a metropolis where that's what i yeah that's what i always hated when people, people say like this is based off of new york or chicago and it's like, oh, like cool. the gta <laughs> games you know, yeah. yeah well it's it even like the watchdogs the and like i thought there's like this is based off chicago it's like that's like a, just a block of chicago is what you developed there it's like yeah, exactly. it's just like that's not even close. Hopefully, yeah, it ties in with the release of um, Blade Runner Two and actually becomes a Blade Runner game. Now, that's what we want. <laughs> They'll probably come pretty close to each other in release date. It's kind of like that within like a year. What's the game that became Halloween just recently? I can't remember. It was a Kickstarter for a game, and then they revealed around oh, a Friday. Oh, Friday the Thirteenth. Sorry, Friday the Thirteenth, not Halloween. Yeah. 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 Um, I would love. If CD Projekt Red did that, Blade Runner, my God, Blade Runner. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, The Witcher Three, like like I said, it's it's timeless. Like I can't say that enough, and I tr I try to keep my praise under consideration, try to take away any of like the fact that I subjectively I like RPGs. It's probably my favorite genre, but still, right? It, you just it's it's phenomenal. Like I mean, clearly you're not alone because the one game of the year for Golden Joystick. Yeah, that's an interesting so, one too, because if because if because if you. I'm not sure that it would have had we waited and like the golden joysticks just happened to take place like end of December, you know, or early January, and then they sure. look back the previous year. Uh, and I'm not saying necessarily that Fallout 4 is is better than The Witcher 3. I I, I wouldn't. I, I don't know where to render that judgment either way right now. But right. Well, I think it would be interesting because you might have seen like Fallout 4 sweep best story, and you might have seen um, Star Wars sweep best gaming moment with like Hoth or Endor or something. Sure. Well, Fallout 4 did get most wanted game. Yeah, Bethesda's marketing around this has, in the last week specifically, has been really, really interesting because there's these conversations now going on around Fallout with all these things leaking and, and like some of it's negative conversation. Like there are jaded people on forums like NeoGAF and other places who, maybe rightfully, maybe not rightfully, point out the graphics don't look very good. You know, it doesn't look like a next gen game or this, that, the other. And so oh, Bethesda yeah. has like released a blog post describing in extreme detail all the new graphics technology and now they got the launch trailer coming out so if anyone's and maybe you know a mainstream audience is never going to notice this or, or or know it but there's there's an interesting kind of tug of war i think here with like bethesda really hitting the marketing hard to kind of combat the the leaks and and try to keep that conversation to a to a, a doll or a ball right so we've kind of well first of all, let's uh comment on the trailer for everybody that everybody watched it yeah. So I'm just going to say that first before we continue in the, kind of the real meat of the conversation that we're going to have. Adam, you haven't really gone deep into the Fallout games before. 
So no, this is, but this is a game that you've said that you're pretty interested in, to say the oh, least. Certainly. I would say, and that. So what did, what did you think of the Fallout 4 trailer now that just came out for this? Uh, built off of kind of like the other ones that have come out before this. I mean, it's continued that hype train kind of chugging along pretty nicely. I mean, I don't think I need to see really anymore. I kind of think the trailer was... It was nice to kind of get a bit more context and stuff because, you know, Fallout can kind of seem like this insurmountable giant, you know, where you don't... You're crafting, you're crafting your own kind of narrative and you're going off on these side quests and stuff so it's kind of nice to be kind of a bit more focused in like a launch trailer but um even just to touch upon the graphics that cause our it's not something that i as somebody from the outside who hasn't got any experience in the series would really care too much about i mean right. the game from my point of view from like obviously it's a huge world and everything seems to be you can interact with literally everything and everything is a consequence of each other you know things could be it's not just big for big sake you know there's method to all of it and everything is malleable and can change and stuff and with that there's always going to be concessions to some sort of you know graphical sheen sure. which I've, doesn't bother me as long as it looks better than fallout 3 right. in it's, Vegas, like which it's, it's it leaps and bounds above the previous yeah. fallout games so i mean people that Absolutely. are criticizing it don't understand the history of that studio very well i would yeah and think. just so. yeah again how interactive and malleable the experience is i'm, I'm surprised that there is a bit of a decry over the graphics. I think this is, to be honest, what, at least what I expected. Maybe from more, you know, hardline fans of the series, they expected a bit more, but from somebody who just appreciates what type of game Fallout is and the hysteria around it, I'm right. not too surprised with how it looks. And I'm happy with how it looks as well. Yeah, like I, I can't imagine how, what kind of horsepower you would need for a game that would have that level of interactivity that Fallout has with like bloodborne style graphics or like level of graphics like i that yeah would, i can't imagine how that game would even run um, why didn't yeah and i and so i just like, need to, there's the I, hint I yeah to, so it's to set the tone of the conversation on the graphics right away because i think the whole thing is really overblown like the way yeah. people have been talking about it but i i sure. do think let's like maybe we should um rewind a little bit and and just kind of mention because it's the, the kind of meta around our podcast this is released to you, the, the listener who's listening to this, on Monday, November 9th, and the Fallout 4 review embargo has passed. So we're actually recording this on Thursday, the 5th, um, but we can talk about the game because at the point that you're listening to it, it's okay. It's out in the wild now, and you've probably yeah. read a bunch of reviews, including our own, which is courtesy of Neil Bolt. He's working on that very hard right now. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where all of our impressions are coming from. Mm-hmm. We're... Um, yeah. Right. So, well, I would go back to the, the trailer quick first. Just for me, I've been a huge fan of Fallout for a while. Like I played played a lot of Fallout Three and New Vegas specifically, and going through those and just interesting things that I've seen in here. There's one part where like uh, there's a bit heavy emphasis in the trailer. Kyle knows more about this because spoilers. He actually has been playing it. I've also been playing it, yes. So, um, but meal. before maybe you'd be able to answer some of these kind of things that are going on in the trailer that I've seen so far. But in the trailer that came out, well, there's a big focus on synths. They say synths, C Y T H. S yeah S Y yeah yeah like like synthetics yeah yeah. So they were just like synthetic, like people or like robots, and there's a big thing about like uprising against them or being afraid of them and like that was something that's a that's a really interesting view that it's not 
been even hinted at in previous Fallout games from what I recall or anything. So it's a totally new oh, kind yeah. of direction in that, and that's a really interesting thing. And part of that could just be regionally specific in terms of the game world. So it'd be interesting to know how much of that is focused because of like the reasoning for why these things exist in this area and why it's an issue and right, how right. advanced they are and that kind of stuff. But another thing that was interesting to see really quickly is that I, they, they've said before is that there's uh, encampments or uh, little kind of trade towns or things that you can build yourself and manage in that way. And it looks like you also can have to defend them from attackers. I think is right. It's if I, from what I saw in some of the part in the trailer, there's a section where there were people attacking this kind of building, and then somebody was attack like defending it from up above. But it looked like there were normal like raiders, and then there was also like a super mutant with them attacking in unison. So like <laughs> teaming up and fighting. I was like, that's a really cool aspect to it. That's not. It's it's always been like super mutants are separate from raiders, which are separate from ghouls, which are separate from the feral ghouls which are separate from like the vault people so it's interesting to see them kind of blending together in this way so but yeah i don't know Ernest, you've been haven't had much to say so far i don't know i don't want to leave you out before we move on but it's all good um i mean the game looks fun yeah uh i don't have a ton of experience with fallout um i've played some of fallout 3 that was cool but just for me personally not my my kind of game sure so yeah. So Kyle, what was your so since you've gotten to play this game, hopefully you can answer some of my questions that I've posed and probably yeah. have when we talk, but did you have a lot of experience with Fallout before this? Um, I wouldn't go as far as to say a lot. I probably put yeah, maybe 20 hours into Fallout 3 over different incarnations. I played a bit on PS3. I played a bit on PC later. Um, but you know, just a few different playthroughs that I got a little ways into. Um, sure. a, a little bit of New Vegas, but yeah, mostly with Fallout 3, I played probably 20 hours total across different platforms. Okay, so what would you say, having that experience with 3 and then now being able to play, well, 3 in New Vegas and now playing 4, what would you say is like the most like the most striking thing about 4 going off of that in terms of just like the differences or how they've, how they've improved it? All right, I have two. I have two things that I, I two striking things that I don't know that I can really pick between because it really depends on what um, what what really matters to you as the player because sure. it's you know two cool new things. I will say this: like if somebody listening to the podcast wants to be completely, I, you know, I'm not going to spoil anything about the story. I'm not going to talk in great detail about anything that you don't ask me to. I have, have, have happy to answer questions, obviously. But if somebody wants to go into Fallout literally knowing nothing about it, they should probably call it quits here right because <laughs> we'll probably be talking yeah. about it for the for the rest of or until we get to our new game releases at the tail end of the podcast but mm-hmm. fair warning we're going to talk about fallout um so the two most striking things the two most awesome things the first is settlements um and we saw you know that was kind of one of the big elements of the of the e3 reveal we saw that you could build your own settlements you have people living there you set up defenses, guard posts, um, you construct you know, walls, and you've got workshops where you can take materials from the world and build weapons and turrets and, and all this stuff. But I, I didn't realize how deep that system was going to be, and I don't think anybody's really prepared for how deep it's going to be because it is amazing. <laughs> it is so, so cool. And to the point where my first day of playing Fallout, which was over, um, well, 
what would it be, I guess, two weekends prior to the people listening to this, I spent my entire Saturday building my settlement. Like, <laughs> eight hours of gameplay. I, like, built it. The moment the feature was introduced to me, which is actually very, very early in the game, they give, they, they open the reins and say, oh, okay. you know, run with it if you want to. You don't have to play through the story to get to it, is what I'm saying. It's, it's like, right there. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the moment I started to realize how deep that is, and, I mean, we're literally talking to the point where you can design a settlement down to the shape of your your walls and I want to build a staircase here because I'm going to put a sitting lounge up on this rooftop and I'm going to make I'm going to put a generator here because I want three turrets guarding my crops or I want not one weapon bench but two weapon benches and I want um, this exact person to stand at this guard post when it comes under attack it's <laughs> so, like you can assign the roles and stuff it's it's way deeper than I expected it's really really addicting and like it taps into a creative side of me that I didn't really even know I had with video games. Like traditionally, I'm not a big fan of creation modes and things like Little Big Planet. Um, right. You know, going all the way back to Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, or you would make your own skate parks. That was like my first taste of it, and I was never very good at it, never very great with the tools. But like this makes me feel like I am the governor of my own, um, <laughs> my own. Oh God, what is the town from Walking Dead? Is it Woodbury? I have no idea. Okay. Anybody know what I'm on with yeah. here? Okay. Anyway, but it basically, you have like you have like a little Sims game, almost kind of like exactly, SimCity yeah. game, built within this. And it's to the point, and, it, and I mean, it's to the point where you are literally placing and rotating any one of, I would guess, the total number of objects you can place down is probably close to a hundred. Like if you add up all the different walls, crop types, sure. um, defense posts, you know, towers, staircases, things like that. There's probably about a hundred things you can place. <laughs> you can rotate, raise elevation, connect things together, and if they're of similar type, they'll snap together easily for you and, and kind of, you know, you can get going and you can build a nice looking settlement really, really quickly, even in the first person mode of just walking around and placing those objects, because that, that is how you do it. You kind of you kind of press the touchpad oh, and it really? goes creation mode yeah so it's not an over-the-top view you're literally running around and like this wall section is just kind of floating oh. in front of you like a translucent object and then you you know press x to confirm you know put it here um so that's like the format Yeah, because i was totally envisioning that as like a top-down type yeah of like a top -down so that's, that's pretty interesting yeah you're like in like literally you're like in the world like yeah i want to you know pick up this this fridge rotate it and bring it over here to the bedroom area that I'm setting up for my settlements. And yeah, that's like it not only is is it addictive in the sense that it's really easy to build the settlements, but you totally feel like you're the again, like I say from The Walking Dead, you're like the governor of your own camp of survivors. You're like their leader in the sense that you need to make sure you have enough beds to accommodate all of them or else your happiness level will drop. Your food and water, you want enough to accommodate the number of people that are there but the more food and water you have mm -hmm. the more likely you are to come under attack in which case you want to keep your defense rating um high enough to match up with your food and water like you want to build even basically okay. you know it, it's loose if you build crops you want to build some turrets to to to, to accommodate them to so it sounds like they're when they made fallout shelter it was a directly it was directly inspired by this it's part interesting of their game. yeah it is kind of like a little yeah not not a tease but yeah kind of like a foreshadowing a little bit like like I think if you look at Fallout Shelter it's clear that Bethesda was really intrigued by the idea of like micromanaging a settlement and now in Fallout right. 4 it's like the full scale three dimensional version of that and what's 
even more impressive about that is, you, I mean, you can't build a settlement everywhere in the world, but there's okay. like that was going to be one of my questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. There, there are there. Are, excuse me. There are distinct zones that you can take over and build a settlement there if you choose to. Like even when they introduce the feature to you, other than like you know rudimentary, hey, plant a crop here to complete your quest. You don't have to delve into it if you don't want to, and you're not penalized. Like you know the the FOB is from Metal Gear Solid. It's not that involved. Sure. So how but, do you um, how do you populate your base then? Do people just show up, or do they do you they have do, to network yeah. it with other places, or right? So I that's um, it's somewhat speculation. I mean, I do know that you you start off like your first settlement has I think four or five people in it. A couple of them have names like they're kind of minor story characters, and then more settlers will come to your settlement if. I think it's I think it's a loose function of how much resources you've built. Like if you're investing in food and water, like I'm going to drop some water wells here. I'm going to put a water purifier over in the river to really ramp up the amount of water I'm producing, build some crops. I think that does accelerate the number of settlers the game will kind of send to your camp because basically what happened is I just spent, you know, my entire Saturday building a really badass settlement exactly the way I wanted it, and then I came back to the settlement after doing quests on Sunday. And I had like three or four more people there who had just kind of shown up um, and were already doing work. They were already kind of, you know, involved and walking around. And it's cool because it's like, it's like you take that idea of micromanaging a, like a small town and then bring it all the way, bring the camera all the way down to first person and you're like moving around it and like kind of in there with your people. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's so, it's so much of an investment there. And I think what you're talking about with the trailer, um, with the super mutants and the raiders is that yeah you can randomly come under attack at any time and that's such something you have to be ready for you have to kind of you know it, it would probably behoove you to give your people a somewhat decent weapon nothing fancy but maybe like a you know an automatic rifle instead of a shitty pistol so that they can actually have a chance of defending themselves when raiders come mm -hmm. and of course your turrets and stuff are supposed to take care of that for the most part in a perfect world it would but um it's okay. just so much yeah that okay so <laughs> we just launched in the whole settlement thing um that's right. one really striking piece and i think it's going to take a lot of people by surprise and it's like oh my god like this is something that we only could do in mods before like oblivion mods skyrim mods where you're setting up your own home and bethesda has totally co-opted that and made it part of the game and I think you can build them in maybe eight places, ten places in the world. Like there's a there's a good amount of places you can you can okay. set up camp. So I'm assuming since they're the specialized zones that you can fast travel between them as if they were real settlements. Yeah, absolutely. The and then if you world. um if you build up a few of them, and I haven't because like it's it's enough of a drain on my resources just kind of building new things for my one settlement that I've really blown the lid off of. But if yeah, if you build up a few different of your settlements, you can set up um, supply lines between them. So I think, and, and okay. this is not something that I've experienced yet, so I'm not sure how it works, but I think you can kind of um, share resources. Like if you have one settlement that has like a surplus of food and water or aluminum or some other material, you know, it can help buffer the others. And similarly, if your charisma rating is high enough, you can um, you can get a perk called local leader, and you can put trading posts in your settlement. Like you can have a vendor who will sell you weapons, will sell you items right there at your camp. Cool. So yeah, nice. <laughs> it goes on and on. There's so much, and there's plenty of it that I haven't even experienced yet. But it, yeah, that's huge. So that's one thing. Um, the second striking thing is a much 
is on a much smaller scale, and it's totally the opposite end of like this big mechanical change to the game. And that's that the game has a lot of personal, surprising touches to it. And I guess what I mean by that is if you think about Skyrim or, or Fallout 3 as you're playing those games, you have these huge epic worlds, but if you spend enough time in them, it's like the seams of the game start to show themselves a little bit. Like you can see that you know, there right. are only so many ways that a character can speak to you. There are only so many voice lines that have been recorded. So you hear the same lines repeating. So yeah, just like the seams start to show a bit. But I'll, I'll take one example, right? So you can have companions in Fallout 4, kind of similar to in Skyrim. You could have people follow you around, but they've expanded the system a great deal. So you have these companions. I'll just use the example of a, of a girl. I'll call her Catherine, right? You meet Catherine through a side quest, and she volunteers to be your companion. You can have her come with you into combat, and a relationship can actually develop. Like as you perform actions that Catherine likes, you might see the notice similar to like a Telltale game. Catherine liked that, you know. Like right. I remember them talking about that briefly in the past before. Yeah, and but then so on top of that, you've got like the things that we've seen in like Mass Effect or Telltale games, where a relationship is actually developing with your companion. But then their personalities really shine in dialogue. And that's what I mean about this personal or this intimate kind of aspect of the game. Like, I am adventuring with Catherine. We're exploring this bombed-out school. And I'm picking up um, what Fallout calls pre-war money. You know, not bottle caps, but, like, old cash left over from yep. a previous life that you're just yeah, supposed to which, sell. if you ever come across it, and well, in 3 anyway, in New Vegas, I know it doesn't weigh anything. So if you ever come across it, always pick it up. And you can sell it for a lot of money. <laughs> Yeah, totally. So I'm picking it up, and then as I'm picking it up out of a drawer, she's like, she, this is literally as close as I can remember what she says. I don't know why you're always collecting all those relics, and they're not worth anything anymore. Like, she remarks on the fact that I picked huh. up this old pre-war item, and she's like, I can't stand that nostalgic crap. Like, So, like, not only is she commenting on the action that I'm taking, but then she's commenting on the specific object that I'm picking up. And then, you know, later, I think it was either I, like, brutally you know, shot some guy's head off in VATS mode, or I uh, did, did some other action that triggered a, a totally different response, and it was like, uh, maybe I picked up like a hot plate, you know, like an old kitchen accessory, and she's like, why bother? We're not going to get anything for that. Huh. Remarking on the fact that it's not worth very much, and I was sure. just picking up for the parts that I could break it down into, but yeah, so those personal touches combined with like the relationship development, like she stopped me in the middle of a quest once as we were just walking along and went, Hey, can I talk to you for a second? I just heard that voice behind me, and I'm like, I, uh, uh, what? <laughs> I like turn around, and she's just standing there waiting for me to talk to her. So I hit X to talk to her, and there's a new dialogue option there that says, "You wanted to talk to me," and so that's what I said, and this whole conversation played out, and it was like a personal moment where she kind of shared her feelings about how our adventures had been going so far. And at any moment, even outside that conversation, you can stop and ask your companion how they're feeling right now, how they're feeling about you about just the status of your adventure. Do they think you're despicable? Do they really like you? So it's, huh. yeah, the companion thing is really, really deep. And I think they took a lot of their cues from mods and how the companion part, I think, in Skyrim's later years started to become popular. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it really adds they, a personal The companion thing in and stuff. 3 and New Vegas is always really one of the best parts of it. <clears throat> Fox was always the best companion out of all of them. Yeah, Giant so it was great 
Right. It was great to always have those guys with you, but then yeah. there was only so much they could do, right? There was only, like, that right. Level, but the, you know? yeah, they were just more accessory, not actually like real part of the exactly your experience of the game. That's pretty cool. And, like she's a better locksmith than, or a lockpicker than I am, so you can command her, and I'll be like, yeah, pick that lock for me because I can't. Oh. I don't have. Um, and that's just a particular skill that she has. And I've met maybe four or five different companions I've come across in the world. She's the only one I've, well, other than Dogmeat, he's one of the companions. She's right. the one I've taken with me for a significant stretch of time. So, yeah, I mean, oh. I assume that they all have different skill sets. Like, one dude could be a really accurate sniper, um, etc. So right. That's cool. Well, you did, um, you touched on VATS really quickly when you were talking about that. So, what I know that they kind of redid the. They had a totally different group of people working on the shooting mechanics of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm assuming, from what I know, I think I'm assuming that Bethesda did the VATS themselves. Like they did that whole system yeah, internally, but right. that's yeah. pretty much the same from what they've shown. Exactly. But yeah. how does the just kind of regular shooting? feel in comparison to like the older ones because you it was right. like impossible to do anything oh yeah it was it was the worst in the exactly. old games in fact if correct me if i'm wrong but didn't you have to click r3 to, to zoom in or go ads on your guns instead of using the left trigger i seem to remember Something that like, yeah it could be but just aim um yeah it's a lot better like it's it's manageable but it's also is that still encouraged more when you're shooting? yeah yeah so that's the thing about it like it's, okay. it's a lot better and there are definitely times when like like yeah, like be- when your VATS is recharging, when your AP is recharging, you can totally shoot like a first-person shooter and be decent at it. Like it's, it's just awkward enough that VATS is what you want to do at close range, but at long range, like genuinely, you'll probably have a better chance of pulling off a headshot than you would in VATS. You know, just by aiming mm-hmm. like you're used to, and then at close closer range or small, uh, close to medium range, you definitely want to use VATS because because. You know, it's it's not quite there where it's a native first person shooter. It's like just awkward enough that that's is still a desirable thing. Right. But totally, totally competent at like medium to long range shooting. Nice. So, uh, how how big of a role does karma play in four versus? because yeah. that was a huge, that was a game changing factor in the previous ones. So that's yeah. something that I haven't heard them really talk about. But I'm assuming it's a pretty present has a pretty prominent role. I would assume so too, but I, I unfortunately can't speak to that very much because I haven't really gotten steeped in in right. any major factions. Like I think I've discovered what a couple of the factions are. And but maybe you've seen, have you seen options in your playing so far that can allude to that more um, deeply, or have you not really just had that much opportunity? Yeah, I think it's just a lack of opportunity. There are definitely dialogue choices that have been, you know, kind of like. You know, at least on a personal level, like you're either a jackass or a or a, right. or a yes okay. man. Yeah. But yeah, I haven't made any many decisions or really any that kind of decide the fates of of groups of people or the fates of towns. So I don't think I've hit anything that has that kind of gravity sure. yet. There's a there's a number of story aspects that I want to that I'm just really want to know about, but I'm not going to ask you them because I want to save those for myself. <laughs> yeah. And experience or you can the game. Yes. Yes. Um, cool. But the last thing that I, the last question I have about it was how soon did you run into a Deathclaw? <laughs> um, how like, bar, barring the eight hours of put of building your settlement. Yeah, yeah, that, so just pure gameplay hours. In terms of, yeah, and just in terms of exploring the environment, like how soon was it until you saw one? 
I think it was maybe like five gameplay hours. Like it was pretty soon. It definitely, <laughs> it definitely wasn't like an end game kind of enemy. No, um, and was he off in the distance or was he like right in your face? He was. Let me think. I was sneaking at the time, which I tend to do even out in the open world as I crest over like new hilltops and stuff because you sure. never know what you're gonna see. So. I remained undetected as I saw them, but I feel like I crested the hill and they were maybe like, you know, thirty paces from me, like pretty close enough to enough to get to me very quickly. Right. If I had if they had become aware of me, but yeah, I um, what did I do? I think I like backed away as far as I could, attempted to get some extra sneak damage while I could, and then they started. The one at least started charging me, and like my bullets were maybe taking away. Like, they, I mean, they were chipping away at its health. Right. Let's describe it as chipping. Well, how many? How many were there? Because you keep saying they. There were two. There were two. Okay. Well, that's two more than you could handle. I mean, in terms yeah. of the beginning of the game, that's. <laughs> yeah. So I just ran. I mean, I, I just. Did you survive? Yeah. Yeah. I just ran Holy away. Holy crap! I, I know that surprises me. I never let him get close enough to swipe me. That's the thing. I was I was cowardly to say the least. <laughs> you kind of should be. That's their <laughs> yeah. goal is to make you terrified. Yeah, so the death claw happened uh, pretty pretty quickly. <laughs> All right. Well, I think I've gotten a good taste of. They're got a good taste of some of the first-hand Fallout Four knowledge that I wanted so far. But I don't know if there's I anything. For, I was gonna say, yeah, go ahead because yeah. I wanted to make sure you guys um, yeah, got go in. I guess the uh, the one question is how how well does the the game run? Have you run into any glitches and stuff because that's always a concern uh, yeah, people have with open world games specifically with the yeah. Bethesda game I think yeah I think this is an interesting I think we can have a really good conversation about this so how does it run <laughs> uh, I'll, okay I'll, I'll start in general terms it's the best running Bethesda game I've yet played and that's always really easy to say in the early hours because typically Bethesda games you know, well, at least you know Skyrim on PS3 is the classic right. example. That game fell apart after 30 hours; like it just went downhill really quickly. Mm-hmm. But that hasn't happened in Fallout yet, and it's been pretty consistently the same throughout. Which, when I say consistent, I mean the frame rate is solid. The frame rate really only ever noticeably drops when there are certain particle effects. Like on PS4, for whatever reason, it has trouble with smoke effects. Like the generators in my camp produce kind of a heavy thick black smoke and when I get close to that it really chugs just for the brief instant that I'm looking at it Mm. but out in the world it's pretty solid I mean you do see like a you know the the slight dip where if it's at 30 consistently maybe it falls to like the low 20s as you crest over certain hilltops I mean definitely infrequently it's it's smooth very consistently 90% of the time Um, glitches though let me think there's probably been some funny glitches. I'm just trying to try and castellate them. I mean, you don't usually f- come across those until you've played it for a couple hundred <laughs> yeah. hours. When you yeah, you've got to find some stuff. great ones. But um, I turned a corner once, and there was a bottle of purified water just floating in the air. Nice, <laughs> just like there, just, just water. There's no ground underneath and no anything. <laughs> I've seen um, <laughs> there's there are like elevators and stuff in the game. Like specifically, there are some outdoor elevators. So like I've huh. walked into the elevator and like closed the door and then dog meat like lagging behind me is just falling off a cliff <laughs> trying to like, get the with me you know stuff nice. like that I've seen um you know I've seen M- I've seen NPCs kind of jank out when you kill them like they'll get caught on a chair or or, or sometimes they'll like the, the settlement has produced some funny moments because you have to be careful when you're building it about AI pathing issues like I've built stuff which is fine for me because I can jump and then I realize that I trapped an NPC on a rooftop and he's trying to get off <laughs> by like walking on an invisible wall just in place so I've had to you know 
you can fix that easily. It's actually been impressive as how well the AI can find its way around your 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 best contraptions. Oh, okay. um, but yeah, um, it's it's been it's been really solid so far. The best performing Bethesda game in terms of glitches and, and technical things so far. The only I don't even know if you would call it a game breaking thing, but there was one time when I spent a good chunk of time, maybe an hour and like a bunch of retries clearing out a really difficult mutant camp. Okay. And I mean really difficult in the sense that they were all way above my level. Like I shouldn't have been there, but it was the classic Bethesda thing where you can you can jank your way through it if you if you're really persistent enough. Yeah. So I cleared that and I fast traveled away and did a couple other things and then died later and it brought me back all the way to the save I had made right before the mutant camp, which is just straight up like a game glitch. Like it, it saves when you fast travel and it just didn't for me that time. Mm. Uh, but yeah, in terms of saving, it's like every other Bethesda game where it saves when you wait, it saves when you travel, it saves... Every time you open a door, every time you... Yeah, when you move yeah. into new areas, yep. So yeah, just totally a glitch that reset maybe an hour of progress. Um, <clears throat> Can so you kill all NPCs? No, you cannot. I haven't tried. Oh, I tried. <laughs> I haven't tried killing like critical, like story NPCs. I've tried killing the people in my encampment. And oh, good. The ones, That's what you should. Yeah, I was actually. Yeah, murder <laughs> your own people. Um, the ones that have names, I couldn't kill probably because they're needed for quests. But then the 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 ones who moved in later, who are just called settler, I could kill those guys. But then the whole camp. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Um. Yeah, oh no, Adam and Ernest, go ahead and um, if you have anything else you're wondering about the game, go ahead because uh, I feel I mean, like these kind of broad topics, like the like the technical things, that's such a Bethesda question. Yeah, and it only actually has a 500 megabyte day one patch, so not too bad. Yep, yeah, I had to install enough. that. Um, and that's been ready, actually, since they sent it to press. Like, we, we, oh. they told us it was coming, and yeah, sure enough, when we first put the disc in, that 500 meg patch was right there, which... That's not very big, actually, in the standards. Mm, no, yeah, considering the game is like fifty gigs on your hard drive. So, I guess if you just want to touch on it quickly, given my lack of experience and again Ernest's lack of experience in the series, what is the entry point like? Is it does is, is it gradual? Is it daunting when you first go in? Is it <clears throat> is there a good arc to it that would wouldn't? Yeah, uh, um, you know, that's kind of to go off of that question does it clearly define where you need to go right away because that's something that i know turned off a number of people in the earlier fallout games where you just like did exactly what you said where like in fallout 3 there's super mutants on this one side and if you don't realize you're supposed to go right instead of left you'll go right into a bunch of super mutants and die right away plus if i recall when you walk out of the vault at the beginning of fallout 3 it's very much just like Welcome, jackass! Now yeah. go off into the world and do your thing. Yeah, yep. I remember going to some factory and there were scorpions straight away, and I just got mm. my ass handed to me constantly. Like, right. it, is, it is so much better. It is so much better in Fallout 4 as an entry point to the mm. series. Um, and I don't. Okay, I won't. I won't go too much into detail about that because it does get into the storytelling. But like the, your introduction to the apocalypse, like I'll just kind of call it that in vague terms. The way the game eases you into its world and then eases you into the apocalypse and how it happened or I guess the nuclear fallout and how it happened it actually is like like a story with like an arc and like you're you're you you know you're the character that you created but you are also 
a character and there are certain details that are attached to you more so than Fallout 3 which was you were just the kid who grew up in the vault and your dad you know was missing this this there's more that's attached to you as like backstory and they kind of use that to introduce you not only to your character but then to the world and then yeah you do come okay I don't maybe you don't I don't I don't want to describe too much more than that but but yeah it, it's um it's a lot gentler of an entry point than Fallout Three and um actually yeah I, I would say it's a lot closer to Skyrim you know because Skyrim had that opening sequence where you were on your way to get executed and then you kind of got ran through the town with whichever faction you choose to follow and there's kind of that entry point it it takes it even a little further than that in terms of like dialogue and 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 a story that actually kind of brings you in and introduces you to the world. I think it's really, really good at that. Awesome. Sweet. Yeah. Well, it sounds like... You've sold me. Yeah. I mean, it's... <laughs> can only imagine how it's going to be received critically in the reviews that are going to come up when this podcast goes out, so... Yeah, which is, you know, that's interesting, yeah. I, uh, I've i been talking to Neil as we play. We've kind of been, like, swapping, swapping not tips, but just, like, things we've noticed. And, hey, have you seen this? Hey, have you seen that? Um, so I don't know. Yeah, it's funny. By the time this podcast is up, his review will be live, too. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, how about Neil? <laughs> that score was totally not what I was expecting. Whoa. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's... Well, I mean, I'll just I'll give you my my takeaway impression right now. It's it's fantastic. It's an awesome awesome game. Um, it succeeds in advancing the series forward with modern co- concepts like the companions who actually develop a relationship with you. I feel like that's become popularized by games like Mass Effect and by even Skyrim's own modding community. Sure. And they've totally embraced that. And then the settlements, I think, are going to blow people away just in terms of... I think some people are just going to spend entire weekends just, just living in their settlement and decking it out and just being awesome about it um, and, and picking perks that help build your settlement up to a more advanced level. Because there are perks associated with your settlement. So some characters won't have access to the full amount of things you can do with it. Um, so yeah, it's tough. You know, the perks are... Um, they present maybe slightly harder choices, I feel like, than than maybe Fallout Three or Skyrim did. Um, yeah, man, I can't wait. Like, <laughs> God, I can. I know, I know a number of people that are just gonna be losing their lives to this game. <laughs> oh, can I can I can I talk about the graphics really quick? No. <laughs> well, I just feel like it's it, it's gonna it's gonna right because that was something that we, that's something that we brought up before, yeah, saying yeah. that people were criti- critical of the graphics because and they're not up to par. In quotes, exactly, and I think I don't now. think we've heard the last of that conversation. I think people are going to be debating whether it, whether it's up to par for right. the next. Well, couple people of always years. argued that the previous games were never up to par with the other games of the time too. So it's yeah, and that's the weird thing about that is but like no, nobody talks about it now because of how great those games are. Right, nobody cares. So, it's just it's totally just and how the broken image. they are. They have yeah. bad graphics and, and are totally broken. Yet people love them to death. Yeah, and they're so timeless. Like, and they're masterpieces. I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think the the only way in which the graphics have maybe failed to impress me might be in texture resolution like when you get up close to let's this is maybe my classic test is i always like look at the ground i look at the walls i get right up close to things but yeah there are some textures in the game that when you're really up close to them they are not impressive at all like they could be textures from the ps3 era but then you back out and you compare screenshots of fallout 3 to screenshots of fallout 4 
Uh, you know, just like character models and facial expressions and the really soft lighting from the sun, which is one thing I think they've done really well here. It's oh, like sure. night and day. I mean, you can't argue that it, it, it it's such a huge leap over their last generation of, um, well, Fallout 3 specifically and Skyrim. It looks better than Skyrim in every single respect. But yeah, yeah I mean, you stand it up to a game like The Witcher, which is probably the best looking game I've ever seen and yeah it doesn't look as good and it's tempting to compare it on that basis alone but I always remind myself like every time you step out into Fallout's world like you move from an interior building to the outdoor space the entire world is loaded around you you know and right. every single object you can touch you can interact with every single person has dialogue to tell you the AI cycles for every NPC in the world is essentially running. I mean, there's probably some proximity dealing with that, but like all these routines, the locations that you dropped things, there's just so much going on there that it's from from a technological perspective, it, it's amazing for that reason alone. Um, so that so yeah, it does get a little bit of a pass for like things like sure the textures, some of the textures have a low resolution and could be more detailed, but it's right. it's such a different game than anything else that's out there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yep. I'm sure you've already read the review on our site by now when you're hearing this, but I don't know. I don't know about the other rest of you guys, but man, I can't wait. I'll get it in the new year when I have more time. Right. Yeah. Holiday is going to be a good time to be able to dive right into this. Mm, yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah, most All right. Well, that has been our lengthy podcast this week. So. Block for a week that seemed, one. yeah, for a week that seemed like it didn't have a ton of news in it, we sure had a lot to talk about. Right, because I reminded you that the Fallout embargo would be up by the time the podcast. Yeah, okay, went yeah, we were just gonna, <laughs> we originally were just gonna mention the trailer and then. Nope. Sorry for dominating the second half of this podcast, by the way. Oh, so it's be the biggest game of the year. It deserves. Yeah. Well, now we gotta wrap up our show here and do it as we always do with re- announcing the games that are coming out the week of the podcast release. And number one coming out on <laughs> November 10th is Fallout 4. <laughs> so, are you guys going to play that one? Kyle, you want to talk a little bit about Fallout 4? So <laughs> Yo, read the read this back of box synopsis for me. Is that I need, another mobile game? I need to yeah. know what this one's about. So that's November 10th in North America and Europe is coming out on PS4. Ooh, don't forget, everyone who's listening to this, if you're buying Fallout 4, be sure to download the free... Fallout 4 Pip-Boy app on your phone because you can access your inventory and your map and all your mm. quests from your phone while you're playing and while you're out and about doing non-playing things. You I'm can sure. you know, examine your weapons and stuff. What but yeah, you nice. Fallout's invading people's lives in so many ways now. <laughs> so the other game coming out on November 10th is Let's Sing. Yes! Coming out in North America. It already came out in Europe before, but I don't know, guys. That might be a serious contender with Fallout 4. I think it could put a serious, serious dent into Fallout 4's potential sales, but <laughs> I guess we'll see. It has its audience, so yeah. I don't know, but wait, what? So wait, let's sing. Is this like, is this like a SingStar type game? I would imagine. Yeah, I'd imagine so. Um, I don't I feel know like guys, a lot I about like, it. I feel like we're not giving <laughs> Let's Sing a fair shake. Right. It's. Mm. I don't know. I don't know how we're not, because we're only talking about Fallout 4 in comparison. But. That's true. But yeah, so those are the two games that are going to be coming out November 10th. You can look forward to. I'm guessing a fair share of you might be looking towards 
forward towards one a little bit more, but yeah, it's kind of interesting though when you when you read the list because most weeks you just kind of assume that they're like five or six games coming out that no one's ever heard of on different platforms. But this week it's like, nope, it is just Fall Four. Everyone got on those. Clear the way. Running with their tails yeah. between their legs. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you got this whole week just to only experience Fallout 4 and sing about it. <laughs> so there you oh, go. Yes. All right. So thank you for listening to Episode 5 of PlayStation Fix. It's been a long one. But yeah, thanks for watching. Thanks for all of you guys for joining me this week. Anytime. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's been nice. Good it's been good to have all this. four of us on the same show. And it won't be the last. Yeah. So we're going to be coming back next week with a lot more news to talk about and other games to talk about. We're going to have a couple of review topics to talk about. My my review, we got switched to uh, Need for Speed, will be up in time for our podcast next week. Ernest will be able to talk about Black Ops 3. Yep. Uh, either of you two doing... I will find something to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of reviews, no, I don't have anything in the pipeline. Yeah, just I don't. Yet, yeah. So. Maybe I'll... Soon, I'll, I'll I, might, I might hit you up with Final Fantasy fourteen patch 3.1 impressions, because I think that's coming out uh, next Tuesday. Because I think there's a maintenance period. And I haven't played the game in like three months, so this will be an interesting step back. But Man, yeah. I haven't played it in like five, and it's eating <laughs> away at me. Don't worry, guys. You have Fallout. It's okay. Sister's there's a reason. Right. There's a reason for it. All right. So we got a lot more news and stuff to talk to you about next week. So thank you all for watching. Stay tuned to PlayStation Fix. We'll see you next week. Bye.